right, so tonight we are going to try to finish uh, Galatians 1. I said try. Um, we actually have a good chance of doing that. So we will work through the rest of Galatians 1, hopefully. We're going to review just a tad to make sure that we're kind of not missing anything as we move forward. And yeah, so that's our, I know you can't see me. I'm getting stuff set up. Okay, so we are live on YouTube, we're streaming, and we are going to get to Galatians 1 and kind of finish the the first chapter, or at least work our way toward the end of the first chapter. Um, the first chapter really moves very quickly from this theological address to then Paul's explanation of his call to be an apostle and kind of a defense of his apostolic authority. Um and we'll, we'll look at how that kind of works out at the end of the first chapter. He then moves in, um, in the second chapter, he moves to his interaction with the church in Jerusalem and how that works out. And then it moves into Peter and his interaction with Peter, which leads to the height of the letter, which is his um, real full explanation of the doctrine of justification by grace through faith and how Christ uh, becomes the fulfillment of the law on our behalf. So that's, that's what we're going to do in chapters two and three. So in chapter one, we're going to finish this little opening section on Paul and how they've turned to a different gospel, and then we'll move into Paul's defense of his apostleship. So that's what we'll do tonight. So let's pray, and then if you have any questions, we can take those as well. So let's, if I get my phone working, let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, on this night, we give you thanks for the advent of your son, our savior, Jesus Christ. For in the coming of Jesus, you answered our hosannas, the cry that every sinner has to save us. And by your grace and your mercy, you have sent Jesus to be the one who rescues us, to reconcile us unto you, the one who prepares for us an eternal kingdom. So we pray that as we wait for his second coming, you would empower us by your spirit to do so with repentance and faith and joy, knowing that we are your children. So bless us this night as we study your word. May we do so according to your will, and may we read these words of Galatians so that we can see our Savior Jesus and trust in him. In his name we pray. Amen. Okay, so like I said, we are um, in the middle of, of chapter one. We're going to review, start over, and read verse six and nine just to kind of make sure we have a running start on the rest of the chapter. So any questions from last week or any week that you've been wanting to ask, now's your chance. Okay. Well, if you think of something, you can just ask anytime, anything. That's totally fine. So let's read Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, which I know we read last week, but just to refresh our memories. Galatians 1, 6 to 9. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are, some who are there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, 
If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Okay, thank you very much. So we, we talked last week a lot about a lot of this. I just want to review this first question. So what is a perversion of the gospel of Christ? We gave some examples last week about works righteousness or obviously other messages of salvation that don't even have anything to do with Jesus. Obviously, those are ones. But what what kind of in general is the perversion of the gospel of Christ? What, how would you characterize it? How would you describe that? Something that removes Christ from the, as the operative saving thing of the gospel. Right. And that, that's very well said. So it's, it's really anything that removes Christ from the center and the most important aspect of the gospel and anything that removes him from being the work, the one who affects the gospel. Okay. So any teaching that moves the, the focus of the gospel or the effectiveness of the gospel from Christ to anything else is actually a perversion of the gospel. So if the obvious one for us would be um, like a, a, a teaching of a salvation by works, okay, so you've got to do something to earn your salvation, um, that would certainly move the focus of the effectiveness of salvation away from what Christ did on the cross and to me, right? So now all of a sudden, I've got to do something to be saved. That would obviously denigrate what Christ did on the cross and say, this didn't do it all, right? That it said maybe some of it or part of it, but I've got to do some or, or sinners have got to do some. That would be a provision of the, of the full gospel of Jesus Christ, okay? Um, if you think about a teaching where um, maybe you have to follow a certain human being to be saved. So if there's somebody who says, you've got to believe in Jesus, you also have to follow me. Okay. That would be a perversion of the gospel. Because So anything that, that makes Jesus not the, the beginning, middle, and end of the good news, that's a perversion of the gospel. So Jesus is alone God's definitive action to save mankind. That's the good news, okay? That's what's good about it is that it's it's God, God acting alone, right? And we talked about this before. The big fancy words are divine, which is just a way to say God, and then monergism, God alone acting. And that's really the fullness of the gospel, okay, is that it's it's just the good news that God has done what needs to be done. He has sent his son who paid for the sins of the whole world, who conquered death, who rose from the dead, and who will come again and usher us into eternal life. It's all God, right? And he even gave you the faith to believe that. So the faith that we have to believe that is also a gift from God. So it's all God. And we just don't want to insert anything into that equation that diminishes the centrality and the role of Christ. Okay? Does that makes sense is that so that's really what the book of galatians is going to talk about then is is to make sure that the gospel we're believing is really focused on christ and um doesn't as as some would say doesn't brook any exceptions right it doesn't stand any any uh competition okay any questions or thoughts on that I have one comment, which is that in, in that understanding, it makes it a lot, um, a lot less burdensome to be a person of faith than, um, that, than in some 
other circumstances. It also, and, and I think this might feed in a little bit to question two, um, it also makes it a lot more difficult for us to be the arbiter of somebody else's salvation or, or their standing with God as well. And I think that's instructive to us to not try and do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so the effect of this, and, and it does pull into number two as well, is that we really do work and, and you can definitely hear this in the way that I present things. We really do present to try to minimize our role in this. We are simply the receptors of good gifts. We simply receive. And what that really means is that the when it comes to the, to the eternally important questions like, are you going to live forever? The answer as, as, is as certain as God himself. So you don't have to think, well, maybe if I've done X, Y, or Z, or if I've lived up to, or if this guy over there did something. No, no, no. The answer is as certain as God himself. God has sent his son to conquer death and the grave on your behalf. He has forgiven your sins. He's given you eternal life. You don't need to doubt any of that because it's done. It's taken care of. God has done it for you. Believe it, and it's it's done. You don't you don't have to add anything to it. You don't have to get up tomorrow morning and try to be good enough or try to fulfill your role. It's simply something that was done for you on the cross and is given to you freely. Okay, that's that's why it's good news. Actually, that's the goodness of the good news. So number two. So then, what do we do with her heretics? <laughs> that's a fun word. So a heretic is basically, yeah, burn them. So um, a heretic is basically the theological word for somebody who teaches falsely about doctrine, okay? So a heretic is someone who teaches falsely about doctrine. So um, if somebody teaches one of these non-gospel-centered teachings, if somebody teaches something false about the scriptures, they're called a heretic. So according to Paul, what should we do with them? Uh, they need to be, uh, I, I'm trying let him be accursed. I'm trying to think of a different way to say that, but uh, because I guess I'm inclined to say, well, the teaching needs to be accursed. Maybe the heretics themselves also need to be thusly accursed, but um, I, I think we need to be speaking boldly against heretical teaching for sure. Is that too, is that too, is that too limp-wristed? What do they already think? Last week we used eternally condemned yeah, that, that is stronger. Eternally condemned. That's kind of the point, isn't it? Paul is not saying, well, let's be nice. Let's give everyone a shot. Let's give everyone an equal hearing. No, he's very clear. If somebody walks up and tries to teach you a gospel other than the true gospel of Jesus Christ, let them be eternally condemned. And there are certain things in our life that it is worth standing up and saying, no, that's not true. This is, and we're not going to compromise on it. And Galatians, the book of Galatians draws us to see the gospel of Jesus Christ as that thing that is that important, that we don't allow exceptions. We don't say, well, everyone gets an opinion. Let's see how you feel about it. No, we don't do that. Not because it denigrates us, but because it detracts from God in Christ. Okay, so we do not allow false teaching a voice. We just don't. Nope, 
Nope. There are lots of things in this world you had to, you're free to have your opinion about, right? There's lots of things you're free to have your opinion about. I mean, I live in St. Louis and there is this food here that they, they call it pizza. It's not. But it's not, right? And, and Peter and I understand the truth about this, but we have friends who actually think St. Louis pizza is good. And you're free to have your opinion on that. We're not going to eternally condemn you. We might look at you askance, but, but we're not going to get, you know, that's fine. We'll still love you. But, but when it comes to the gospel, this is kind of what Paul's saying is, nope, we, there, no, there's no room for this. We, we do not allow false teachings. Okay. It's, it's also because it's blaspheming, Kevin. Is that right? Exactly. So it's, it's offending God. Yeah. And we can't allow, well, not we can't. We don't allow that because it's offensive to the almighty God. And Are we, we talking about the pizza or the heresy now? In this case, both. But Okay, but that's what I thought. In Galatians, the, her the, the heresy of teaching a false gospel. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's exactly right because it's offensive to God. Um, Kevin? Yeah, go ahead, Susan. Um, I, again, I have another strange question. Yeah. Do you, you are a theologian, right? I, on a good day. Do you get together with other theologians and discuss issues? Yeah. Yep. On a regular basis, like do you get together? Um, I on a good day, yeah. I mean, I okay. yeah. That's part of the joy of being a theologian is you talk about these things. Okay, I was just wondering. <laughs> yeah, and and I have and I have friends, um, theological friends that aren't Lutheran that that would come from a different very different theological background than I would, um, that would have different opinions on things than I would. And we are very honest about that. And we, we can still be friends and we can still converse about things. Um, but again, even in those conversations, I don't compromise the gospel. I don't say, oh, well, okay. When it comes to the things about the gospel in Christ, it, it is time to be bold and say, this is what scriptures teach. And this is therefore something I don't compromise on. Obviously, it's a good mental exercise. Um, it, it helps you. <laughs> <laughs> I would say academic academic conversations with theologians helps you um, be very, very clear on why you believe what you believe. And that's that's a very helpful thing because you can go okay. through a lot of your life kind of making assumptions. And then when someone says, I've read the text, I think it says this. It kind of makes you study the text some more, which is a wonderful thing. It's always a good thing to be driven back to the scriptures and to, to make sure you know what you're talking about in Christ. Okay, it's thank you. Hey, Kevin? Yeah. Can I ask you, a, I guess it's a semantics question. Yeah. The, the word gospel, which I think, I think it means, the Greek means good news, and I, yeah. I could be wrong on that, but yeah. when, when, did the, when did the term, I'll say the ordinary use, like, a Greek said, hey, I've got some good news. We won a battle. When did it become like, for, at least for the Christian church, what it means to us, the gospel, you know, the good news about Christ. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so actually you're reading one of the first places where the gospel is used by Paul to mean the content of the message about Jesus. Because the, the term evangelion is simply the Greek word for good news. So when a herald would come in and say, like you said, good news, we were victorious. Uh, you're going to pay fewer taxes because now the, 
you know, the whatevers are going to pay more taxes. So your ears is relieved. That was good news. So a herald would come in with Evangelion for the town, right? Good news. And it, it actually became a technical term for the content of the Christian proclamation of Jesus Christ. Um, and it, again, when you talk about the dating of these letters, Galatians, I believe is one of Paul's earliest letters. So now when he's using this word to say the gospel of Christ, he actually is using to say the good news, which would encompass, as you'll see later in the letter, his, his crucifixion, his resurrection, you know, his vicarious atonement idea, all of this stuff, the promise of, of eternal salvation, even the, the baptism into Christ, that's all included in this, this idea of gospel. So now all of a sudden Paul is using this not to just describe the actual act of proclaiming a good message, but he's actually using it to describe a body of content. Okay. And you see this also in Philippians when he talks about the gospel, the gospel has gone forth. Right. So it's, it's like actually a content. It's not just the physical act of proclaiming something. So that's a very good question. And that's that's kind of the way we, we see it is that Paul starts using these words in a way that seems like the church understood, which means he taught them or the apostles were teaching that the, the gospel is actually the whole content of salvation. Thank you. You're welcome. And that's why the Gospels become called the Gospels, because they are books that contain the whole story of Jesus. Yep. Right. Okay, so what are you doing, heretics? Um, now, this, I want to say this, too. Um, we do not listen to this. I want to make sure this is very clear. We can be totally against someone's message, and we can condemn the message wholeheartedly, but we do not take action physically against people. Christianity is not a religion of hurting other people, right? We can totally disagree with what you say. We can say you're not welcome to speak here, but we do not, we do not enforce the judgment of God physically on our neighbors, okay? So when I say heretics, we don't want a part of them, that doesn't give us the excuse to treat them violently or to treat them poorly. Um, the Christian church can, can very easily make a distinction to say what you're teaching is unacceptable and we can say no to that but we would still treat the person with love and respect okay but we won't let them necessarily preach in our church right i mean there's a difference okay so let's read the next section yes go ahead yes i i want to know how the galatians treated paul wasn't he a former heretic yeah exactly that's exactly right very good so that's the next section paul's actually going to say oh, here's the okay. thing i was a heretic i was a false teacher and and this is exactly what he's going to get at he said now the reason you can trust me is because i'm not preaching my gospel i'm preaching this i'm preaching christ so even if I came preaching a different gospel, don't listen to me, right? That's exact. very good idea, very good observation that you're exactly right. And, and this is Paul's whole defense of his apostleship is that he's saying, I am not proclaiming my ideas. I'm not proclaiming any other person's ideas. I am simply proclaiming Christ crucified, nothing else, okay? That's why you listen. If, if he's teaching Paul, don't listen to him. If you teach a different gospel, don't listen to him. Only listen when he's proclaiming Christ. And he's saying, that's what I'm doing. That's my whole goal in this is to, is to serve Christ. Very good. Excellent observation. Okay. 
Let's go, let's go to number three. Let's read um, Galatians 1, verses 10 through 17. Yeah. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. If I was advancing in Judaism, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth, called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Okay, thank you very much. Yeah, very interesting section. So number three, I can't read my own writing. But whom is Paul serving? Christ. Christ. And the reason I ask that, I know it's an obvious answer, but but it just let's make sure we catch what he's saying. He's saying, if you serve Christ, you are not trying to please people. And, and this is part of the reality of being about the gospel of Jesus Christ is that even though it is good news and it is the only good news, sinners don't like to hear it. Okay. And, and this is part of just the reality of being um, somebody who, who dedicates their life to proclaiming the gospel is that all of us who are in this, this, reality of, of, of public proclamation of the gospel know that if you want to attract people, don't preach Christ. Preach um, seven ways to become a better whatever, or 12 steps to do this, or a self-help book on this, or what. and people love it. People love being told what to do. They don't even mind being told they're wrong. They just like to have a practical solution. But if you walk in and say Christ crucified is the only way to salvation and that you're a sinner and without his grace, you can't be saved. People will not like it. People will walk away from you. People will leave your church. People will leave your Bible study. Um, people do not like the exclusivity of the gospel of Christ. And especially for Americans, we hate being told that you can't do anything. Americans actually don't like grace. Because our whole idea, our ideal, our, our identity is in the notion that I can take care of myself, I'm the master of my own domain, that I'm in charge of my own life, and that I'm in control. And so when the gospel comes to us and it says, you know what, you can't actually do anything to be saved. It's all something done for you by God. That's actually very offensive. And this is what Paul is getting at, is he's saying, look, if I was trying to win popularity contests or to gain followers, I would not be proclaiming Christ. Let's get this straight. It's really easy to walk into a town and say, if I got the way for you to live a, the, your best life now, right? Have I got it figured out? 
I've got a way for you to get blessings from God, to be happy and healthy and wealthy and wise, to be popular with your friends, how to gain friends and all this kind of stuff. I can do that, Paul says. He goes, but that's not the gospel. And and he said, I've been called to proclaim the gospel of Christ, which means I am not going to be popular with people. So he says, here's the thing. If I was trying to, pe to please people, I would not be a slave of Christ. But he's a slave of Christ. So that's that. And it's, it is truly the reality that the, the proclamation of the gospel is necessarily not a proclamation of the self. Okay. And, and this is kind of what Paul is getting at. He's not in the business of getting ahead himself. He's simply proclaiming Christ. Okay. Any questions on that? Is it significant that, that uh, I mean, you, you know, I, I know that we sort of think of that idea of not pleasing people more with respect to people outside the church, but I mean, he makes a point here also of saying, you know, I didn't really, I didn't really go to consult with the people inside the church either. Right. Um, and so, so I wonder just kind of if there's anything to comment on that, but also uh, whether there's anything, any, any hay to make here that the polity of the church was not even here established directly through Peter. Um, I mean, Paul, Paul, I mean, he, it even says here, and I've never really thought about this, but he went directly from Damascus to Arabia, started doing missionary work there before he ever talked to anybody. I mean, he's, he's got a, a missionary journey that he's already done to somewhere in Arabia. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I find that kind of interesting as well. Is there any, any significance to those things? There's a lot of significance to it. And that's actually going to become the, the main thrust of chapter two is that he's going to say, basically, I'm not subservient to Peter. My gospel is not submissive to Peter. As a matter of fact, Peter is submissive to my gospel, which is quite a claim for Paul to make. Because remember, and we'll get we'll get there as we go. When we're when we're saying Peter in this context, we mean the apostle Peter, like the guy who denied Jesus, you know, before he went to the cross, the guy who proclaimed Christ to be the Son of God in Matthew 16, that Peter, the guy who walked on the water with Jesus, that Peter. The guy who, after the ascension of Christ, became the leader of the church in Jerusalem and performed the same miracles that Jesus performed. That Peter. The Peter that if you lied to his face, you fell down dead. That's the Peter we're talking about. And Paul says, I didn't go to him. I didn't go to him and ask his permission to preach. I got this from Jesus, and I told it to you. As a matter of fact, when Peter walked up and when he was wrong, when he was proclaiming a different gospel, I corrected him. That's in chapter 2. And, and what we're going to see is the movement is that, that Peter himself is saved also by this same gospel. So Peter and Paul now are not above this gospel and saying, y'all need this. No, Peter and Paul are actually the ones who are saved along with us by the work of God in Christ. So that's chapters two and three. The, the other interesting thing is that Paul up to this point has had no personal, I mean, you know, Peter and the apostles there, they have the benefit of having lived with Jesus through the course of his ministry. For Paul, he's like a new point of initiation for the church of Christ that, you know, is coming from not physically having walked, you know, the Galilee with, mm -hmm. with the master, for example. And I think that's pretty interesting also. It is very interesting. And, and, um, yeah, advantage, disadvantage is a strange idea with this. I think I think that the original 12 really struggled with understanding Jesus because they walked with him. 
we'll let that just kind of hang out for a second. I, I think it's actually a hard to see a man daily and believe he's Yahweh. I mean, clearly his family, you know, right. you know, that exactly. <laughs> okay. So number four, what was Paul's trajectory? Kevin, just a minute. Yeah. I've got a question. Dad, go isn't, isn't a challenge that the, the body of Christ, the church has faced for centuries is presenting the gospel without compromise in a way that communicates to those who are compromising the gospel. Yeah. I mean, that's a really difficult issue to overcome. It is very difficult. That's exactly right. It's it's actually kind of the struggle of the Christian church is um, so purity of doctrine, which which is kind of the way to say making sure we we always say the right things about Jesus. That's really all purity of doctrine is make sure we're always speaking the truth about Jesus. That can actually become an idol for the church. And we can worship our ability to be right all the time. Well, we've just we've just moved the focus again away from Jesus onto how right I am about Jesus. Well, that's not the gospel either. Right? So we're always in this in this struggle as sinners between wanting to make sure we're, we're, we're getting it right, saying it right, teaching it right, but also never being obsessed with I'm right and I've got it figured out. And right. I mean, we, so it is actually, and this is why I'm, I try to say the way I say it is it, it really is focused solely on God's action in Christ. That's the content of the gospel. And that's true whether I'm talking to a believer in Christ who might have a slightly different view of some theological issues. And it's also true if I'm talking to a, a total non-believer. It's still the, the content of the gospel that's important for us all to believe is the reality of God's actions in Christ to save. So this is actually a major struggle within Christendom, just within the church itself. And it always will be, always will be. Right. Um, I, I was brought up in a church body and, and love my church body. But one of the things that we can easily fall into is pride over how right we are in our doctrine. Well, honestly, it doesn't do anybody any good for me to be right. <laughs> it just doesn't. But but what we want to make sure is that all our efforts making sure that the proclamation of the gospel is the, the true gospel. That Christ is actually proclaimed as crucified. Does that Kind of makes sense? Okay, cool. All right, number four. So what was Paul's trajectory? Was before his conversion. What does he say? So let's look at verse 13 and following. For you heard of my former life in Judaism. He was persecuting Christians. That he was, was persecuting Christians. That's right. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. That was where he was going with it. So yeah, he's persecuting Christians, and what does he say? Why was he persecuting Christians, and what was that doing for him? He was advancing in his. Yeah, he was advancing in Judaism. As a matter of fact, he was top of the class. He was actually advancing in Judaism. Now, when you talk about Paul as a Pharisee or as a Jew, you got to understand he is. This is his whole existence. This isn't just like something he did on the side. This is his income. This is his status. 
This is his reality, is that he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was one of the best and brightest scholars of his day. He was the top of the heap. And he literally threw that away to proclaim Christ. He, is, he actually turned his back on that entire existence and said, I am no longer known as the Pharisee Paul or Saul, the Pharisee who is advancing Judaism. I am now a proclaimer of Christ and him crucified. That's who I am. Okay. So he's actually, instead of persecuting Christians, he's now going to become the Christian that his own friends are persecuting. So not only does he get rid of all the esteem and the glory, he's actually now one of the ones that his friends are persecuting. So all of his classmates, all of his buddies, all of, all of his teachers, they now are persecuting Paul in the same way he was persecuting Christians before. So he is saying to the Galatians, look, this is not a career move. Okay, I am not proclaiming Christ out of some career move to get ahead. No, I was on that trajectory. I gave it up. Dad? Okay. Yeah, so does that make sense? Yeah, it sounds like it sounds like he was moving very quickly away from God, faster mm -hmm. and faster and faster away from God until God came into his heart and turned him around. I think he first knocked him on, off his horse and then turned around. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. So what he's looking at now is he's saying, I thought all this was getting me closer to God, but it wasn't. And, and this is going to be the key. Um, we don't have a lot of time to do this tonight, but when, and I've showed you this before, but in Philippians chapter three, he kind of goes through the same list of saying, this is all my qualifications of Judaism, right? A Jew of the Jew, a Hebrew of Hebrews, born of the, at circumcised the eighth day, all that kind of stuff. But then he says, that's all garbage compared to knowing Christ. And that's the flip. Is he says, Kevin, that's all garbage compared to knowing Christ. Kevin, I'm just going to yeah. add that. See, the, the thing that I... That, that I see personally is, is that someone can preach a gospel that's not correct, but because they're so well-spoken and so learned, someone like myself cannot argue, mm -hmm. you know, convincingly enough to, to prove my point. Or, I mean, there's just some people that are wrong that are just good at arguing, discussing, of, of the wrong gospel that's right yeah the world full of them full of them yeah yeah and and i um yeah i've talked to people that are way smarter than i am that have very convincing arguments for what they believe and at some point you kind of got to look at them and say uh that's not the gospel dude i mean that is not the gospel of god in christ reconciling the world into himself it just isn't and all the logic and all the, the rhetoric and all the, the reasoning, it, it just isn't the gospel. And um, I think we have to recognize that. And, and this, is, this is really where faith, um, the faith that says a mustard seed or the faith of a child is very helpful, is that when we're going to talk about God, it kind of is um, Jesus. That's what we're going to talk about. And what So someone like myself who can't win an argument with someone who's that that uh 
articulate or learned, mm-hmm. even if even if they're wrong, so do I just walk away? I, I think you can simply proclaim the gospel of Christ. And if they won't listen, then you just, you can't. Yeah. At some point you don't have, it's not everyone will agree with what I'm about to say, but I, I will tell you guys this as friends. It's not your job to convince everybody that you're right. And it's not your job to save everybody. We simply witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we let God work through those words however he wants. And sometimes the best witness is not to win an argument. Because if I convince you intellectually that Christianity is the best idea, that works until a better argument comes along. What we actually want to do is be about proclaiming the good news of God in Christ and let the spirit work through that, right? This is not an intellectual gospel. This is actually the truth of reality, and God works through the proclamation of this truth by his Holy Spirit to convict convict hearts. We we believe that. And so part of what I say is, is I actually encourage people to not try to see witnessing as an intellectual argument, but to simply see it as witnessing to the, the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, this is actually the topic of Paul's writing to the Corinthians, is he actually says, I didn't come to you and try to win arguments. There are people who have, there are professional arguers. This was actually true in Paul's day. There are professional arguers. I'm not doing that. And I'm not even trying to defeat them. They got wisdom that I can't even touch. That's fine. I just leave it alone, right? The gospel that I'm proclaiming is foolishness to some people. Okay. I'm not going to try to make it otherwise. I'm going to proclaim it because it's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. And, and we don't, we don't need to feel the pressure of having to answer every argument along the way. Does that make sense? Mike? It's, I know it's not easy, but it really yeah. is. And it, it, I think that's a good point where you said that it's not an intellectual argument. Because if it was, then so many of us would, would fail. And so I guess I just trust my gut and what I know and I read in the Bible that it's either correct or it's not. Yeah. And you, you kind of got to just let it be at some point you just witness the truth and let it be. And I think that's exactly right. Um, Yeah. I can't imagine how difficult it was for the Galatians. I mean, all they had was this one guy coming in to tell them this. We have the advantage of a lot of learning and a lot of history and things like that. But I don't, I don't know how these people were supposed to tell the difference between one person and another. Right. And that, that's a very good point. So um, I think the best way to talk about that is to understand that Paul teaching we have this from the book of acts we know this for certain is that when when paul walked into a town even a gentile town he always went to the jewish synagogue and taught them how to read the old testament this way so they weren't just left with paul's ideas they were actually taught how to see in the old testament how jesus is the fulfillment of all of this so when they heard the jewish scriptures being read and remember the synagogues 
were actually designed so that the, the Jewish people were inside, but the people outside could hear it. So it was actually part of the design of the synagogue was that the Gentiles could kind of walk up and kind of listen in, right? And, and so Paul actually taught his gospel from the Old Testament. So they would hear, they would go to synagogue and hear the Old Testament being read. And they'd say, oh, that's, that Messiah is Jesus. That's what Paul was telling us is that, is that that is fulfilled in Jesus. So when Paul, when God says, I'm going to dwell with my people, they said, oh, Paul told us he did that in Jesus. Right. And so that's what he taught them. And that's why he write these letters is he's kind of like, don't forget what I taught you. Right. You're, you're, you're listening to a different teacher. Don't do that. This is the truth. And then that's why um, the four gospels get circulated so early because the, the, sto the oral story of Jesus, you know, as generations get older, it stops being retold as much. And so we need to have it written down so that the story of Jesus and what he did becomes circulated with Paul's letters. So when Paul says Jesus did this, they can actually look at the gospels and say, oh yeah, he actually did this. Does that make sense? So it, it is kind of a combination of, of what Jesus did as an oral history, but it's also teaching how to read the text, teaching how to read the Old Testament text, kind of like what we're doing right here. So Paul was doing that for the Galatians. He was saying, this is how you read it. And then, then some other teachers came in and, and taught something different. He's saying, whoa, whoa, let's go back. Let's go back to what I taught you. Okay. Yeah, I, I agree. It's um, I would also say that that sometimes more learning makes it harder and, and less learning makes it a little easier. We have almost too much learning sometimes where, you know, there's this thing called the Internet. I don't know if you found it yet, but you can literally find any opinion on anything. And it, you know, there you go. OK, so number five, when did God choose Paul? When he blinded him. Well, that's when he affect. That's right. That's when he he converted him in Acts chapter nine. He blinds him on the road to Damascus and converts him. But what does Paul say? He says something interesting here. Here, before he was born, he was set apart before he was born. Yeah, before he was born. Before he was born. Are you kidding me? Well, it reminds me of that verse where. Right. God says he knows you when you are knit in the womb or something. Right. That's Psalm what comes to mind. Yeah, yeah. that's what comes to my mind. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And and then you think of Jeremiah chapter one, where Jeremiah says the same thing. He chose me before I was even born. And and here's the thing. And, and I, I just, I just this is an important thing for us to remember. Paul at this point is probably 40 years old or older, might be 50 years old. Okay, so Paul is saying, so if Paul's converted around 32 to 34, the best guess is that he was born somewhere around 5 BC. He's, so he's basically the same age as Jesus. So he's now writing this letter, looking back on his conversion when he's in his mid 30s, right? He's 38, he's 37, 38, 39, something like that, when he's converted to Christianity. Well, he's saying that God knew he's going to be an apostle and yet for 38 years didn't do anything about it that's crazy see we think that if god's going to do something he's got to do it right now but even the life of jesus reminds us that jesus was incarnate he lived 30 years without doing any public ministry 
before he was baptized. And then he only did public ministry for about two and a half to three years, and then he was crucified. So we get very impatient with God, and we say, well, you're not acting, you're not answering my prayers, whatever. But, but look at the life of, of the Apostle Paul. God actually allowed him to go through Judaism to persecute Christians and everything. And yet, Paul says, even in that time, God knew that he had set me apart to be an apostle of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we don't know what God's up to. And, and we are reminded to be patient and to not judge God by what we see or what we perceive or what we think. We, we learn to judge God by his word and to trust, to trust that he's doing stuff, that he has a plan that I'm not, I was going to say ever, I was going to say, I, to be honest, I'm, I think I'm never aware of his plan, to be blunt, because he seems to always surprise me, right? He's always doing something that I'm not aware of and that I would not have planned or expected. And, and Paul's statement here is just phenomenal. He says, look, I wasn't converted to Christianity until late in life, yet God had me chosen from before my birth. See, that's faith. And then what do you see in Paul's writing? You see that all those years he learned, he spent learning the Old Testament scriptures. Do you know what that was for? So that when he, when he understood who Jesus was and when he believed in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he could go back and reread those scriptures as an expert and teach them and say, see, Jesus is here, and he's here, and he's here, and he's here, and this is the fulfillment of this passage, this is the fulfillment of this passage, and this is what this book was all about, and this is what this passage was all and he actually taught the gospel of Jesus Christ from the Old Testament as an expert in the Old Testament, and so God was, was shaping him this entire time to become the great apostle to the Gentiles, which is ironic, because he was shaping him as a Pharisee, a Jew of Jew, to go out to the non-Jews. How was he doing that? I don't know. That's what he was. That's what he was up to. Okay, but it was it was from birth that Paul emphasizes, and this again, like I said, it just reminds us to be patient um, and to and to really trust that God. And this is going to sound silly. Knows what he's doing. Um, he just does, and and I and I don't. I don't know what he's doing most of the time. Doctor, I'd like to add just a little a little sharper edge to that too, because it's not necessarily that Paul was even just kind of waiting around or even just kind of doing passive learning. He killed Stephen, you yeah. know, um, and, and the same thing with the, the patience for all of humanity. I mean, God, from before the foundation of the world, planned for the son to be the Messiah, to save everybody. And yet all of human history is full of terrible things, of active badness that even his own people perpetrate against themselves and against, uh, against him. Um, and, and yet with that sort of patience, I mean, he, you know, the, the, the earthly life of Christ, sure, but you know, hundreds, thousands of years of, you know, mm -hmm. patience with humans at large, uh, is, is also there too. And so I, I, you know, like you say, um, for, for us to be patient, we, you know, God's not on our timeline. Hey, here I am now be with me now. Uh, my parents, my family, my unbelieving friends, you know, come on, get with the program. Um, but it's completely patience i have often felt is like the best Im immediate expression that you can give to others the, the way that you can reflect the love of of god and of christ in particular on others is to be patient because mm -hmm. god is patient with you yeah yeah that's exactly right um yeah that's right 
I was just thinking of Romans 5 where it says uh, that we can rejoice even in afflictions because of, well, it's flip this in the Greek, so it's, it's persecutions or afflictions, whatever you want to say, but, but because that results in steadfast endurance or patience. And, in, and patience builds character and character leads to hope. That's, that's uh, Romans 5. So, so we have this idea that we can rejoice in the, the mercies and the glory of God, but we also rejoice in tribulation because tribulation builds patience and steadfast endurance is another translation of that word. And that builds character and that character results in hope. So, so we start with the, the grace and the glory of God. We, we get persecutions and troubles, but that's building patience, which is building character, which returns us to hope, which is the glory of God again. So it begins and ends with Christ. And, and that's, you're exactly right. So patience is a big thing for the Christian and not always something I'm good at. So preaching to me. Kevin, your okay. discussion about Paul in the Old Testament, I was kind of turning on that and I thought it's a good objective illustration of, you know, God's words not returning void and accomplishing the purpose where he sent it. Because like you said, you know, Paul was could go back to all that Old Testament he learned and say, oh, now I see Jesus. And then he could, like you said, teach it from there, which is wonderful. Yeah, that's exactly right. So Isaiah 55 is this great promise. We all know that God says, my word will not return to me void, but will accomplish that which I sent it forth. So just think about that as Paul is learning the Old Testament and using it against the church. But what he's actually doing in the long run is he's learning these Old Testament scriptures that he can now use to teach the church, including you and me now. So we are benefiting from Paul's time in the Torah, and we'll see it in chapter two and three, how he actually explicitly talks about this. That's exactly right. Okay, number six, how did Paul learn the gospel? Revelation from Christ. Yeah, we, it, this is kind of weird, isn't it? We don't really know exactly what happened. It just says that he was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that he might preach him, that I might preach him to the Gospels or to the Gentiles. So he re received it by revelation. And this is kind of bizarre, is that um, the, the history of the church kind of pictures Paul as actually having a time to meet with Jesus. So that, so that Jesus seems to have met physically with Paul and talked to him and taught him things. Um, either that or, or some kind of intermediary, an angel or something like that, met with Paul and taught him about Jesus or something different. But it seems that Paul is actually saying, I didn't learn this from a person. I learned it from God himself. That God revealed Christ to me. And this is the content of my gospel. So... Um, and this is kind of part of the reason that Paul is considered an apostle is because he didn't, he is not a second generation teacher of the gospel. He actually learned it from Christ himself. Okay. So this is kind of a strange, we don't know exactly what Paul means when he says this. There are a couple of passages in Paul's writings that we don't know exactly what he's referring to. This is one of them, but somehow he says that he received it by revelation of Jesus Christ. And that phrase even is a little hard to translate. So he, re he receives it in revelation of Jesus. And um, yeah, we'll kind of leave that there for now. So number seven, how was Paul saved? Called me by his grace. 
Exactly. Called me by his grace. So, so Paul, who is a Jew, who understands all the laws of the Old Testament, who understands all this, and according to Philippians 3, was perfect. Paul actually says, according to the law, I was perfect. And he doesn't say, and therefore God was pleased with me because I was such a good student of his word. No, he says, by grace, he called me. By grace, he saved me. And this is what is then going to carry us through the book of Galatians, is that the gospel is the work of God in Christ alone to save. And that gospel is given to us sinners by God's grace. Okay. And this is, this is really then the doctrine on which the church stands and falls is the teaching of salvation by grace through faith because of what Christ has done. Okay. So here it is in Galatians. And I, I think that's a good callback too to verse six, you know, it's not, and, and you sort of mentioned it earlier, uh, you know, that not, not me with all my learning and, and such, but also you guys, like all of us, you know, I, like I have this background, but even, even you guys called by the exact same thing. There's no difference between the way he describes his own calling or setting apart and what he is saying to the Galatians. All right. And when I are going to make you spoil the ending. So turn in your Bibles in, in Galatians to Galatians chapter two. I think it's 15, 15 and 16. Okay. Cause, cause that's exactly right. It, Cause it's, this is the move he makes it's, it's not just me. It's not just you. It's all of us. So go to Galatians two. So this is him. If you start, if you look at verse 11, but when Cephas came to Antioch, that's Peter, just another name for Peter. This is an Aramaic name probably. But when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Okay. So this is, he's there having an argument. And this is what he says to Peter. Look what he says in verse 15 and 16. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ. See, what Paul is saying is that this is not just Gentiles are saved by grace through faith. But the Jews still have to observe the law. No, no, no. What he's saying is the Jews also are saved not by works, but by God's grace and faith in Christ. And this is the big turn in the New Testament is Paul is saying that this doctrine of salvation by grace through faith because of what Christ has done apart from the law is the way that everyone is saved. Not just Gentiles, not just Jews. Anybody who's ever going to be saved is saved the same way, by God's grace, through faith in what Christ has done. And this is true for the patriarchs. If Abraham is saved, he's saved this way. If a Gentile is saved, he's saved this way. If a Jew is saved, he's saved this way, right? If the, if the worst possible sinner on the face of the earth is saved, they're saved this way. If the most virtuous person on the face of the earth is saved, they're saved this way. There's no other way. That's actually his argument. So you're right. He's going to say, it's not just me. It's not just you. It's, it's, this is it. This is the only way to be saved. I, I was avoiding saying this is the way. People want, just to be honest. Okay. So you have yeah, spoken. I, yeah, exactly. I have spoken. I can't, but I can't believe his name is Grugu. Grugu. I can't, I, can't I can't get over it. All right. Let's read 18 through 24. 
I know we only have two minutes. 18 through 24 of chapter 1. I'll read it. Then after three years, I went to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Okay, very important section of the book. Why does Paul explain his history with Peter and James? Sorry, again, Cephas is Peter. It's just another word for Peter. I think he's emphasizing what he had said earlier about how his gospel doesn't come from them necessarily. I think he's reiterating that point. Right. So it doesn't come from them, but why is he mentioning them by name? I mean, they're they're the most important ones, right? I mean, P yes. Peter is sort of like the, I mean, James, is, wasn't he like the bishop after after Peter at one point? Yeah, so. Was so he not part of Jesus' inner circle? Yes. Okay, good. So when you want to talk about the Christian church after the ascension of Jesus, you're going to talk about the church in Jerusalem. That's where it was. That's where it was located. That's the headquarters. Um, that's the IC. That's, that's where it's at, okay? And in Jerusalem, you had Peter and James as the two leaders of that church. Now, Peter was the lead apostle. James, the Lord's brother, became the leader of the church, just kind of the leader of the church. Um, and it seems like Peter actually went out from Jerusalem eventually. But the church was located in Jerusalem, and Peter and James were the leaders. So if you wanted something approved by the church, you had to get it approved by the Jerusalem people and the leader of the Jerusalem people were Peter and James. Okay. And then we'll read later and John. Okay. But this is probably not, this is not James, John's brother. This is James, the brother of Jesus. Probably. Um, the Jameses in the New Testament are varied and hard to keep track of. We'll just say that. Okay. But, but so what Paul is saying is I didn't get my gospel from them, but I am not opposed to them. And, and he does maintain this throughout the letter is he's, he's going to keep saying my gospel is not submissive. They didn't tell me what to preach, but they're not against what I'm preaching. Matter of fact, we're preaching the same thing. Yeah. I would say insofar as, as they are agree, in agreement on the gospel, he, because he, he says he opposes him to his face in the next chapter. Because, because even Peter can't live this out. He can't figure out how to live this gospel out. Right. He's still stuck in these old categories. And Paul's going to call him out on this. He's going to say, wait a minute, you're being a hypocrite. All right. And that's going to get to another proclamation of this reality. That is that Peter is actually included in Paul's gospel. All right. Number nine. So where did he go? So he went to Jerusalem. And then he went to Syria and Cilicia. To Syria and Cilicia wherever that is, right? But he did not go, he did not go and live in Jerusalem. He went to Jerusalem briefly, 15 days, and then he went away from Jerusalem. And this is, I, I know you guys, 
just just stick with me on this. The book of Acts actually traces the church in this way. Acts 1 through 8 is really the church in Jerusalem. Now, there's some minor adjustments to this. If you're going to look at chapters 6 through 8, you're going to have the deacons who actually Philip will go away from Jerusalem. So he goes out, right? But the church is still really in Jerusalem at this point. It's not until Acts 9 where the church starts leaving Jerusalem explicitly, okay? So Acts 9 is a conversion of Paul, and then Acts 10 is where Peter is in Joppa and has a vision on the on the roof and then goes to Cornelius, um, and who is a Gentile. And then you have in Acts 11, basically have you're going to have the, the, the work of Paul beginning. Um, but then, remember, in Acts 15... We're going to be back in Jerusalem. And, and so what happens is, is the, the church is still kind of headquartered in Jerusalem, but they're starting to go out. They're starting to go on these missionary journeys, but they still go back to Jerusalem to kind of check in with the leadership so that make sure their doctrine of the church is pure, that they're, that they're all teaching the correct thing. And that's that's kind of this interplay we're going to read in the rest of Galatians 1 and Galatians 2 is that he's going to say, I'm not getting my stuff from them. I got it from Revelation from God and Jesus Christ. But I'm going to make sure that the church is teaching the gospel. Okay, so he's going to talk to Peter and James and Jerusalem church so that we're all on the same page and we're not teaching different gospel. Okay. So, so there's this the, kind of this juxtaposition of I received it from God without any help from man, and I'm going to check in with the church to make sure that the church is in agreement on this. Yeah, it's kind of a balancing act. <laughs> okay. So, any I know we're late. We got to go. Any questions before we run? Just because we it, it finished up the reading for tonight, I just wanted to comment on verse 24. They glorified God because of me, Paul, the killer of Christians. Uh, yeah. And I, I know that I tend to think of Paul's conversion and his you know presentation to to the Christians as being sort of an awkward or uh, you know fraught sort of thing. But I think that is in particular a really uh, remarkable response. And if you, and if you think about how you yourself, I mean, imagine somebody your imagine your worst enemy, you know, uh, who's not a Christian or whatever. And suddenly is like, you know what I believe now. And how would you react to that? And would yeah. you be inclined to, and furthermore, this person is now forgiven for all of the terrible things that he or she has ever done to you. And, you know, for killing your, your uh -huh. bro, you know, Steven That's or right. whatever. Um, and, right. and I, I find that to be, you know, he, by his own you know, words here, they glorified God because of me being saved, you know, being now a yeah. believer. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. This is, this is the grace of God. It can literally change us. It literally does change us. That's exactly right. Okay. Let's pray. And then if you have any questions, you can stick around and I'll be having to hang out for a bit. Let's pray. It is your son, O Lord, that we desire, desire to learn more about, to put our faith in, and even to proclaim to this world. In so doing, give us humility and let all we do be done to the glory of your holy name, that all people that we encounter might know your love and the gracious forgiveness that is in Jesus Christ, our Savior. 
we thank you that in him we are forgiven and we are your children. So we ask you that you would grant us your Holy Spirit this night, that we might sleep in the peace and the joy and the comfort of your love and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Thank you. Congratulations. Thanks, we finished the chapter. We yeah. finished it right. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to understand. I don't know. That's not yes, weird. thank you, Kevin. You're Appreciate welcome. It. But anyway, but that's good. I have a question. Yeah. Is Paul and Saul's torturous conversion and process of coming to a true faith kind of similar to Martin Luther's struggle with the Catholic 